Continue to claim that we're children of love and invite him into our, our presence this morning. The gift of his Holy Spirit is given to us as his sons and daughters. Let's sing this out. Peace. 
Friends here this morning, and I hope you feel it just because we're in community with one another. Would you turn and greet each other and say hi this morning? I don't, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop seeing this. It is so cool to see the bride of God in love, meeting one another, greeting one another. Um, I love this. I uh, just want to point out, obviously, the, the different ways you can give. Um, there's lots of different ways to do that. But God really uses that um, in so many ways that I just don't think we all realize. And uh, missions... A lot of that goes to missions around the world. You are reaching people uh, and just in our own community. So uh, would you trust God in that way? And there's lots of different ways you can make it easy to give, but uh, that's something that the Lord asks us to do generously and just to be good stewards of what he's given us. Um, we're going to head into this next song, singing about our same God that we read about in the Old Testament that's still alive and active today. I want you to sing this with us as strong as you can. I love hearing your voices.
because there's so much changing and there's so much happening in this world but he is the same he is the same God and I mean that is just so amazing that we can claim that that we can we can just say that with a full assurance and I keep saying we as we we're gonna sing one more song here after we spend some time in communion um, but maybe that's just what God's put on my heart or what I'm seeing. And I, I'm so encouraged seeing all your faces and knowing that there are people on live stream too. And that there are other churches and just outside of Southwoods that we are all claiming that same promise. And so as we enter into this time of communion, I just pray that the Holy Spirit would breathe a fresh, new, in a new, fresh wind new way in your life, like speaking to you and reminding you that he's the same. It's, it's not stale. He's always active and moving and changing. And so as we enter into this time of communion, we can really get caught up in like, oh yeah, you know, it's a practice, but I just pray that it would be fresh for you, that each and every day and every time we do this, you would start renewed in this newness of life that he offers. And it, that is so amazing. I hope that fills you with joy and hope and peace in this time of communion as you reflect on what Jesus has done for you. So if you have not already, it's not too late, you can go, go back and grab some communion. But we're gonna give you some time to do that right now. You can go ahead and have a seat. And then after you finish this time of communion, we're gonna sing one more song. And you can sing from while you're seated, but it is, it is we who are singing it, the church we together can claim these promises. So I pray that we would do that this morning and go ahead and do that in this time of communion together as well.
encourage you to continue to reflect, but you can also sing with us as we join in this next song together. to worship you this morning. When the world says you are not real, all that we feel is just a lie. We will not move. We will stand strong. For your kingdom to be revealed We don't need the world to come and tell us that we're right Cause everything you've said will be displayed before our eyes We will see your kingdom come to earth God and man restore
bow our heads together and pray, all right? Father God in heaven, we thank you that a day is coming when your will will be done on earth in all things, just as it's done in the heavens. It's your authority, your power will be unrivaled, and you alone will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And everyone and everything in the heavens and on the earth and in the under the earth, everything visible and invisible will be under you and no longer in rebellion against you. We long for that day, Lord. And we ask for you to bring it to pass sooner rather than later. We ask for that. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you've come in grace and mercy to make it possible for us to reconcile with you now. Lord, we just bow our knees this morning here in this place and our spirit and all of us online. We just we bend the knee and we proclaim you King of Kings and our Lord now and forever. I'll be with us as we look at your word, Lord. And we'll give you credit for every good thing that happens as a result. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, this past week has been a reminder to all of us that there's a lot of evil and suffering in our world, right? If you just paid attention to anything that's gone on this past week. You know, last Friday, an Olathe East High School administrator, student, a resource officer were all injured in a school shooting incident. We need to keep all of them in our prayers and the school as well. But we all know what's behind all of that, right? I mean, we do. It's, there's evil at work in our world. It's real, real evil, deceiving real people, and then real people, most of the time, unwittingly go along with it. There are a few who intentionally side with it, but the majority are sort of deceived. But when that evil has gone along with, what's it do to all of us? It brings suffering, hardship, adversity, frustration, discouragement, questions. But ultimately, it's evil that's behind it. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've all been watching the war in Ukraine Uh, from afar, and things are horrible there. More than 10,000 Ukrainian and Russian people have died. More than a million refugees have fled Ukraine since the invasion began. And the numbers of suffering people are rising. But what's behind it? Our culture is tempted to say, oh, it's Vladimir Putin, or it's This or that politician who should have done this or that. What's behind it? Evil. We have to get it through our thick skulls, all of us who are God's followers, that there is a conspiracy going on in the world, but it's not of human origin. It's been going on since before the garden. There's a spiritual conspiracy, and it originates with evil, evil, not just a force, but evil beings. You know, as bad as things are in the Ukraine, do you realize that the largest humanitarian crisis on the planet, you you know what it is, and it receives almost no accurate media coverage? Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Do you realize that around the world right now, more than 360 million Christians, now let that number sink in. How many people have fled Ukraine so far? Million or so. 300, more than 360 million Christians live right now in places where they experience extreme levels of persecution every day. Why? Because they're followers of Jesus. They're trying to live by the golden rule. They're trying to honor God with their lives. And that's just unthinkable, right? 
That's roughly the equivalent of 360 Ukraine crises going on simultaneously right now globally. How much press does all of that get? Not much, not much. And these believers aren't just experiencing disapproval, ridicule, or peer pressure to change because they're Christians. That's not the kind of suffering that they're experiencing. I mean, these believers are constantly at risk of physical abuse, legal and financial harassment by government officials, confiscation and theft of property, mob violence. They're at risk of being kidnapped themselves or having their children kidnapped, forced labor, imprisonment, torture, potential murder or execution, often in incredibly horrific ways. What's behind that? What's behind the silence about it? Evil. Evil. It's not a coincidence. According to published reports by ministries like Open Doors International and Voice of the Martyrs, did you know that the five, or do you know the five countries in the world right now where extreme persecution is the most common? Do you know the five countries? Probably, I would guess, many of us don't. The top five countries, the most dangerous place for Christians to live, topping the list, Afghanistan. Didn't used to be. It was down the list quite a ways. But as of August of last year, when we pulled out, guess what? It shot to the top of the list as the Taliban took over. It is now the number one most dangerous place on the planet for a Christian to live. Second, North Korea, which was previously first until they were unseated by Afghanistan. And I can assure you there are forces in North Korea that are jealous that they're no longer at the top of the list. There's evil there like that. Third most dangerous country for Christians in the world, Somalia. Fourth, Libya. Fifth, Yemen. Did you get that? Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, Libya, Yemen. Now, I want you to think about this. How bad does the persecution in those five countries have to be for them to be worse than Iran, Nigeria, Sudan, and Syria? For what it's worth, Russia didn't even make it into the top 50 most dangerous countries in the world for Christians. And I'm not saying it's a garden spot for spirituality either. They didn't even make the top 50 most dangerous places. Here's the point. We're making our way through the New Testament book of 1 Peter together in a message series entitled, When Faith is Tested. Sometimes we're inclined to think that Tests of faith are just a byproduct of dumb luck, bad luck. It just came my way. You and I have to keep it forefront in our mind that we are in a war, a spiritual war between good and evil. And evil wants to attack you and me every second, it every window of opportunity that it sees. You go back and read in Matthew 4, Luke 4, when Jesus is tested, what did the, what did the devil do when he tested Jesus? He tested him, and then what did he do? He went away until the text says, a more opportune time. He was just waiting for the next window, the next available moment. He's doing the exact same thing in your life and mine. The testing of our faith is guaranteed. And so what is God doing when he gives us the book of 1 Peter? The Holy Spirit is inspiring this book probably for many reasons, but let me give you two that are way high up on the list. He's inspiring it because he wanted to encourage Christians who were experiencing extreme adversity and suffering because of the evil in the world. He wanted them to know that they're not alone. He wanted them to know how to deal with it. He wanted to tell them sometimes what they already knew in hopes that they would summon the courage and the faith with the Holy Spirit's presence to continue to endure, to not grow weary. But the Holy Spirit also had another reason. He wanted to help prepare all the other Christians who would read the book for how to live and endure when adversity, suffering, and evil comes their way in life. Because here's the truth. In this world, it will come our way. It will. 
And if we wait until a crisis to prepare, well, we've waited too long, right? We know that. So this series is all about when faith is tested and how to prepare our body, mind, soul, and spirit in order to walk with God and be faithful to Him regardless of what comes in life, whether it's some difficulty that comes into your life because of your mistakes and you go, horrible things going on in my life. I really messed up here. What we're talking about applies. Maybe there's circumstances and troubles coming your way that are way beyond the scope of anything that you could have messed up. What we're talking about will give you strength and help you stay the course in the midst of that. The whole world goes screwy what we're talking about will help you. As long as we're not just hearers of the word only, as James says. It's not enough to hear it and go, oh yeah, I need to do that someday. It's about being a hearer who does, does what God calls us to do, James would tell us. So we're in this series, When Faith is Tested. Our theme today is, uh, when faith is tested, we need to stay united. It's all about maintaining relationships, really. It's about when you're in trial and testing and things are not going well and you're fatigued emotionally and spiritually and you got all this sort of trauma going on around you, how do you relate with other people? How do we do that? We've got to stay united is what we've got to do. The text tells us. You have your Bible with you this morning. I invite you to open it to 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're going to read several verses together. We're going to Listen for how to stay united when our faith is tested by adversity. Now, the truth of the matter is these things apply across the board, but they're absolutely essential when the testing of your faith and trials are, are going on. So follow along in your Bible. Read from the screen as I read. 1 Peter 3, we're going to start at verse 8. It says this, Finally, all of you should be of one mind. That's what's he saying there. All of you should be one, should be united. Then he starts talking to us about how to live that way. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted. Keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That's what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, and I love these two verses here, the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies and turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. Now, today's passage is just full of wise biblical advice for how to stay united when adversity strikes. I mean, it's just, it's just dripping with insight far more than I'm going to have time to get into this morning. But for the next few moments at warp speed, I'm going to mention and apply six biblical instructions that this passage tells us can help us stay like-minded, united when testing and trials come our way. Six instructions. I'm not saying that I'm hitting them all, I, and, and I'm not even doing justice to each of them, to be honest, because you have a message series just on these verses, you know, a series on them. And so um, with that in mind, cut me slack. There's a lot more I could say. Uh, but what I will say I hope we'll listen carefully because I think it has a lot to do with you and me becoming the kind of people who can stand firm, who can stay united, whatever comes one's way in life. First instruction, if we're going to stay like-minded and united when testing and trials come our way is this. We've got we've to learn to be sympathetic. We must be sympathetic. Verse 8 begins. You kinda, once it says, I want you to be united, be of one mind, it says, sympathize with each other. To stay united, we need to be sympathetic to one another's hardships and sufferings. Now, here's what I want you to see about this. This instruction 
to sympathize with one another is inherently, it's intrinsically others-oriented. It is non-self-centered. It is non-narcissistic. It is not about me, right? Why do you think the Holy Spirit put this instruction first in a list of several instructions about how to relate with one another during times of testing? Why do you think he starts there? The chief obstacle to being a sympathetic person is I want people to sympathize with who? Me. I want you to sympathize with me. I've got it tough. My life's hard. It's impossible to keep a group of unsympathetic people like-minded and united. What will they become over time? They'll become like political groups. It'll all be political, where people say the right thing, but in their heart of hearts, they behave a whole different way and feel a whole different thing. This is not God's way. God's way is for the Christian life, the spiritual life, the God dwelling within me, Christ in me life is lived from the inside out. As long as we're only thinking about ourselves, things break down. Community doesn't happen. People can't authentically stay united which means each of us needs to begin if we haven't been doing it. I mean, every one of us. Some of us are gifted at this and really good at it. And honestly, in today's culture, get worn out by the narcissistic tendencies of our culture. But here's the thing. Each of us has got to stop thinking of ourselves and we just try to imagine the challenges, the hurts, the difficulties of others around us and around the world. We need to think about 360 million Christians who are suffering every day right now. You say, but that's painful. I don't like that. I know. I know. It's what Jesus feels every minute of every day of every year for 2,000 years and actually before that. It's learning to sympathize. Sympathize. Romans 12 advises us with these words to, to live in this kind of way, to put ourselves in the shoes of other people. It says we've got, the passage says, Romans 12, 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. You know, if you're going through hardship and somebody comes into your life who's got hard things going, hear me. It is not hypocrisy for you to rejoice with them or mourn with them, independent of how you're feeling right now. That is not hypocrisy. What is it? Sympathy. Sympathy. It has a name. It's just not practiced real well in our self-centered culture. If we're going to stay together, if we're going to we're going to stay united, God's people, during the midst of difficulties and challenges and trials in our individual lives and the, the world at large. We have to learn to sympathize. It is not hypocrisy to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice when you are feeling the opposite. It's sympathy. It's sympathy. And without it, it's impossible to obey the second instruction for staying united, which is that we're to be loving. Verse 8 kind of describes it this way. I, it just struck me as I was working on this, this this last week. It just says, love each other as brothers and sisters. It's talking about a brotherly kind of love here. That's what it's talking about. How are brothers and sisters to love one another? The most basic biblical understanding of brotherly love is this. We're to be our brother's keeper, protector, guardian. We're to look out for their well-being. 
Genesis 4, Cain violated this. He killed his brother Abel because he was jealous of him. And he did that instead of protecting him, looking out for his well-being, being his guardian. And this approach to life and relationships has become all too common. In fact, it's become so common that there's a meme in social media nowadays that illustrates this. Maybe you've seen it. I've got a picture of it here. Just, you can see this uh, little deal on the left. You know, you've got the hand. Somebody with the hand reaches in, and they give them a high five. And that's, that's what they're doing. Almost as if awareness solves the problem. There's a big difference between awareness and being your brother's, your sister's keeper. Big difference. One is loving. We'll just say one's not. Brotherly love sympathizes and helps, but protects. It rescues another in need. And 1 Peter 3 tells us, to love that way, we must become more tender-hearted. It's the third instruction for staying united during times when testing and trials strike in our lives. We've got to be tender-hearted versus hard-hearted. This is totally countercultural, totally countercultural. Tender-hearted versus uncaring versus unsympathetic. And, and to a significant degree, the key to tender-heartedness resides in the fourth instruction given to us in the passage, and that is that we're to be humble. That Verse 8 tells us, keep a humble attitude. Implication, we can lose the humble attitude. <laughs> we can, uh, it sort of comes and goes in our lives sometimes. And so its emphasis is keep a humble attitude I've always loved Philippians 2 because it defines humility in a, in a way that I think is really uh, concrete for us. And Philippians 2, verse 3, the middle of the verse says, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Listen to this definition. It's really a functional definition. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I just want you to read that out loud with me, if you would. Let's just read it together. Okay, here we go. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. In other words, the text is trying to convey the idea that the humble, the humble assume others are more important, wiser, better, more interesting than themselves. This honestly is a barrier. The, the lack of humility is a barrier to being able to sympathize. It's a barrier to love. It's a barrier to, to uh, tenderheartedness. We, we have to become humble, thinking of others as better than ourselves. The chief obstacle to humility really is self-importance. It's that I'm more important. It's me. Heard someone say a number of years ago, and it just sort of stuck with me. I was at a conference, and they said this. You know, God's list of big shots was completed long ago. There's only one name on the list. And to that, I've added, the rest of us need a lot of grace from above and from all around us. One big shot, which means I'm at best a little shot, whatever that means. We're all little shots together. But it is sort of trying to convey the idea, the text is, that when you interact with somebody else, assume they're the big shot. Treat them like you would a celebrity. Relate to them like you would. I mean, whoever they are, relate to them as you would. If they were somebody famous in the news who was a good and gracious person, this is the idea behind humility, that there's no one 
in your world, in your sphere of relationships, who's less important? They're all more important. It's huge when it comes to this whole matter of staying together and staying united when difficult times come, learning to relate to one another in this way. It's important always, but it's critical when testing and trials come. Fifth instruction of the text, we need to be forgiving. Where is that in the text, someone might wonder? Well, it shows up functionally. Forgiveness is functionally described in verse 9 where it says succinctly, don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you back. You'd insert, if somebody tweets something snarky at you, what do you do? You don't tweet back something snarkier. The text is saying instead, pay them back with what? A blessing. Pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and that's that language. That is what God has called you to do is hearkening back to the earlier part of chapter 3 and chapter 2 where we're all called to walk in the footsteps of Jesus who behaved this very way. That's what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessings. We're to be forgiving. And part of God's blessing is harmony, staying like-minded with others, even in the midst of adversity and suffering. It's just going to be the blessing of, of maintaining relational connectedness. It's the blessing. Which brings us to a sixth and final instruction in the passage, at least final, that I'm going to highlight today, and that is that we need to be careful. Texas is telling us we need to be careful, particularly with what we say and what we do. If you look at what the text is saying, during times of trial and adversity, but all the time it matters what we say and what we do, but during times of testing and trial, what happens inside of us? We start getting entitled. I got bad stuff going on, and so my bad stuff is coming out of me on you. I can say whatever I want to say. Deal with it. If you had my life, you'd talk like this. If you had my problem, you'd behave like this, and we justify it, and God is saying, no. No. The text is saying, be careful. We need to be careful with what we say, what we do. Listen to this again in verses 10 and 11 of 1 Peter 3. Scripture says this, if you want to enjoy life, you just pause right there. Do you want to enjoy life? That was weak. Guess not. Three of you. Three of you. You three, you'll enjoy life. If you want to enjoy life, you want to see many happy days, not just a few happy days. I'm going to talk about the TV show from decades ago. Do you want to see many happy days you know, where there's joy and there's fulfillment and there's blessing? Is that, is that what you want? Yes. Yes. That was better. Thank you. The text says, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Don't be, don't be careless with what you say and how you relate with your mouth. There are consequences for what we say far beyond what we recognize often. The dark side of a culture of free speech is that we can become very careless about what we say and how we say it. That's the dark side of it. It has its plus sides but it has its dark sides. The text continues and says, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, it doesn't just tell us to watch what we say. What's it do? It just tells us to watch, watch how we live, what we do. Turn away from evil and do good. You know that word turn away? Some translations, it's actually translated repent. But the idea is the same. It's, it's turn away from 
turn away from behaviors, actions, ways of living and relating that are counterproductive to God's way for us. Stop them. It's like that Bob Newhart video on counseling years ago. Maybe some of you have seen it. If you've never seen it, just Google on YouTube. Or you Google. How do you? I'm blurring it all. On YouTube, <laughs> just search Bob Newhart counseling. And what will come up is a woman sitting here talking about all these horrible things in her life. And Bob Newhart, who's getting paid all kinds of money is, as a counselor, just says, stop doing that. Stop doing that. And she just goes on and on making her excuses. And, oh, it's, it's, just, it's like every psycho babble thing you've ever heard in your life just comes out of this woman's mouth. And he just says, stop it. By the end, he's like screaming at her, you know, stop it, stop it. And, and, and the text is saying, stop doing that. Turn away from it. Another word that could be translated right here in the text, and I like this word a lot, is the word recoil. It's like you see something evil going on and you're just like, you just stop and you just, you jump back. You recoil from evil as opposed to sidle up to it like, you're going to change it. You're going to make it better. God knows. God knows that evil is a serpent. And it strikes when you least expect it. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. On a daily basis, we need to be careful and intentionally choose the virtuous path and actively search for peace and harmony with those around us. This, is, this must be our daily focus when testing and trials come our way. And if we'll do that, the promise of Scripture shows up real clear, verse 12. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, because that's what he calls right behavior, what we've just talked about. This is, this is how the right way to live. This is what we were made for. This is what the Garden of Eden is, was like. This is what believers in the throne room of God one day, how we will relate to one another. And, and the text is saying, you know, if Christ is a part of your life, you're called to begin to behave and live this way now. With everybody. No exceptions. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, those who live this way, and hear this, his ears are open to their what? He hears their prayers. People like this, he's listening. He's listening. But the Lord does what against those who do evil? Turns his face away. Turns his face against. It's intriguing that he says against because away just implies I'm just not looking at you, but against is intentionality. It's like, I guess I'm going to have to help you learn appropriate relational protocol for one of my children. There is an element of accountability to that. You and I may not like that. We must deal with that in here. We must. So I need to ask all of us a question this morning. Are you living in such a way that harmony and like-mindedness and genuine unity and love with the people around you are, that it's possible, that it's possible? Or are people literally gritting their teeth and praying for the rapture when you come? What's going on? How are you relating to the people in your world? 
Are you growing in sympathy? Are you growing in brotherly love? Are you growing in tenderness? Are you growing in humility and forgiveness? Are you, are you growing in care for what you say and do? And will you stop making excuses and just turn from evil? Do good. Friends, that is God's will for each of our lives, is what the text is trying to convey to us. But to have those kinds of deep and character-filled relationships when adversity and hardship strikes, we've all got to prepare. We've got to devote ourselves now to living that kind of way. And let me just say, in a world of school shootings, wars, persecution that's rampant, and evil, it's the only way to stay spiritually healthy and relationally united with others. It's the only way. I want to close with this uh, thought, parable, if you will. German philosopher once compared the human race to a bunch of porcupines huddling together on a cold winter's night. Here's what he wrote. The colder it gets outside, the more we huddle together for warmth. But the closer we get to one another, the more we hurt one another with our sharp quills. So in the lonely night of Earth's winter, eventually we begin to drift apart and wander out on our own and freeze to death in our loneliness. In today's passage of Scripture, God has given us an alternative to what is the human norm. And if we will devote ourselves to following His words, it will help us to stay together. It will help us to stay warm until one day Earth's winter gives way to our Lord's spring. And I ask you, if you will, let's stand together as close in prayer. All right? Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your life. If you're going to live out the kind of stuff we're talking about, you can start doing that at any point in time. But if Jesus is not a part of your life, I can assure you it will come to a point in time where you'll, you just don't, won't have, we don't have the strength on our own. We don't. Maybe you need to invite Jesus into your life today. You can do that as we pray here in a moment. Maybe, maybe you need to be baptized because the, the Bible teaches Jesus himself appeals to his apostles to go and baptize all the nations of the world as his disciples. That's what he wanted them to do. If you've never been baptized, you just need to be baptized as a demonstration of your faith, your surrender to him. And it doesn't matter whether you like getting your hair wet in front of somebody or not. It's like... It's kind of like the text. Do you want to enjoy life and see many happy days? Do you want to do that? Do you, do you want to be one of Jesus' followers? Every one of Jesus' followers in the New Testament, baptized. Every one of them. We can help you with that. We can help you with that. But you got to let us know. I'm always amazed. I'll be talking to somebody and say, yeah, I've been a believer for like 30 years. And, you know, I just never did get baptized. And, and kind of hanging back because you just hadn't done it, and everybody else maybe assumed you were. This is just something we need to do, every one of us. So maybe you need to be baptized. Let us know. We can help you with that in the near future. Maybe you'd like to pray, uh, have someone pray for you about something in your life. I just want to invite you. Come on down afterwards. Maybe you've got all kinds of chaos going on in your life, and you just need somebody to pray for you. Uh, we'll have some folks down here pray for you. All right, let's bow our heads pray then we'll be dismissed. Glad that you made it this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and thank you that your word has relevance to every one of our lives. And We just ask God that you'd help us to be doers and not hearers only of your word. We just admit to you that walking in the footsteps of Christ is not an easy thing to do. We need his help. So Lord Jesus, would you fill us? Would you strengthen us? Would you live your life in our place? Would you fill us with faith and with your spirit and with courage and with hope, with an awareness that this life is not all there is and an understanding that if we'll walk in your ways, that your inheritance is our inheritance. 
that's eternal life. It's a relationship that's eternal with the Father and with one another. Lord, help us. Help us to choose your ways. And this morning, we just invite you to fill us and cleanse us and make us yours. Lord, we'd ask that you'd uh, bless our relationships because you know, Lord, it's as a culture, we're just soft. Um, look at what's going on in some of these places in the world. It's just, it's traumatic to some of us. And God, we just need more of your strength more of the substance of your spirit in our lives. Would you have mercy on us and fill us? Fill us with courage to be obedient and to stand, to be faith-filled. And Lord, as we leave this place, would you help the things that we've talked about today to just reverberate in our mind and our spirits? Would you continue to speak to us individually, speak to me, to each of us about how I need to follow through in certain things. And God will give you honor and glory and praise for the blessing of you hearing our prayers, for the blessing of your presence in our lives, for the blessing of one another as we do life together. Now go with us, Father. We're grateful for your grace. It's in Christ's name that we pray. And everybody agreed with me and said, amen. Amen. Bless you all.